Hi, thank you for tuning in to another episode of State of the Arts, a podcast where art forms are embraced and artists are celebrated. I'm Lee, a hostess of Ceremonies. I'm joined today by co-host Anthony Bonilla. Hello. And this is episode 94. My guest this week is Matt DeRogatis, who's a stage actor known for off-Broadway productions such as The Glass Menagerie, Lone Star, and most recently, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Welcome to my show, Matt. Thank you for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So how did your journey begin as an actor? Uh, well, it's kind of interesting, you know, and it's a little maybe corny, but it's one of those things that you just kind of feel like inside of you, like that it's something that you want to pursue. Uh, there wasn't really any I mean, the one event that I could point to when I was a kid, I was, well, I'm dating myself here, but there was a <laughs> HBO uh, movie called Like Father, Like Son with Kurt Cameron and Dudley Moore. Uh, I remember that. <laughs> and I remember watching it as a kid and I was like, oh, this looks so fun. I want to do this. And I just remember telling my parents like, hey, I, I want to do this. So when I was a kid, they kind of you know, we're like, all right, well, we'll give it a shot. And they took me to a talent agency and, you know, I had an agent in New Jersey and I got a little bit of work here and there. Um, but then it just got to the point where they were calling me into the city too much for auditions and being 10 years old, you know, my parents needed to take off from work all the time to keep bringing me in. And it just became too much. They're losing wages at work to bring me in. And obviously the audition, the audition process is very hard. So uh, we had to kind of stop doing that. And then I, you know, in high school and stuff, I, I did a lot of uh, things with friends, you know, videotaping little skits and stuff. And then we started like our own backyard wrestling federation, which wrestling is, wrestling is like theater, you know? So <laughs> yes, true. Yeah. So we had our own little backyard wrestling league. But it wasn't until I got into my, so I always had a creative outlet, but I didn't audition for anything in schools or did any of the school plays. I didn't really do anything in college. And then it wasn't until I was about 25 that I decided I saw an audition notice for something called, a play called The Mousetrap by Agatha Christie. I went on the audition for it and I got cast in the role of Sergeant Trotter at a small little theater in Freehold. And uh, my mentor, who ended up becoming my mentor, was directing the production. So, you know, the universe kind of conspired for that to all, all to happen. And uh, then I, I acted pretty steadily from 2000, from the age of 25, 2005 until about 2010, I moved into New York City. And then I took like four years off from acting. And uh, in 2014, I came back and decided, you know what, I'm going to do things totally differently. I'm not going to audition anymore. I'm just going to start producing stuff myself. And with the help of my mentor, you know, we established a nonprofit, which is now called Root Stage. And, um, you know, we started producing very small shows in 2014. We did a play called Red by John Logan about Mark Rothko. We did that at the Jim Kempner Fine Art Gallery in Chelsea. And then from there, it was just like, okay, well, the next production that we did, we want to make it a little bit bigger. And then the one after that, we want to make it a little bit bigger. And we ultimately have arrived at the most recent production, which was a, a major uh, off-Broadway premiere, actually, of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, uh, which we just finished last Sunday, August 14th. So it's been quite a journey, but um, I love it. It's uh, 
it's a lot of work because you're producing and you're also in the play. So I kind of like to think of myself as the Vince McMahon of Ruth stage. You know, I kind of <laughs> yeah. seeing everything and I, I get in the ring and I wrestle and, you know, it's a, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. Um, and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof ended up being a great success. And I, I have to be a little tight lipped about it, but, uh, there may be more coming. I'll just say that. Oh, how exciting. That's great. Yeah. In a nutshell, that's kind of my abbreviated version of the journey of how I, how I got to here. How do you juggle it at all, being a producer and an actor on the same show? It's just like total commitment. You really just have to like, you can't really have a life other than this. And I don't, uh, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> My, my, my dating life has suffered tremendously because I, I don't really have the time for it. I mean, it would be nice, of course, but uh, it's, it's really, it's just total commitment, 100% uh, commitment to the production and the, the role that you're playing and the group that is producing it. Um, I handle, no decision is made, you know, without my sort of stamp of approval. I mean, there are other people involved in the group that have you know large duties but and we all work together pretty cohesively but yeah i mean it's just it's it's, it's full time it's like from the moment you wake up until the moment you go to bed it's like you're just planning and i'm i'm three steps ahead i mean i know what's coming after a cat on a hot tin roof it's like i know what's going to be coming in the next two three years so but it's all a process you know because you want like i said you want each production to be bigger than the last one it's like evil can evil, you know. It's like, mm. okay, I jump, I jumped the Grand Canyon last time. Not like, what can I do to top that? So, yeah, I'm always plotting and scheming. I have a master. I'm getting a master's degree in psychology, uh, so that that helps a lot with dealing with people and also creating roles and stuff. So, I mean, other than acting, that's kind of the only other thing that I do is I I pursue the career. Of so you study on top of all this. For your exams. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting because with the character of Brick, you know, I don't know how much you know about the, the role of Brick in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, but he tends to be played as a very sort of passive, boozy, drunk, glazed-eyed, quiet guy. And, you know, coming from the background of someone who is deep into psychology, I kind of like to diagnose my characters. And I'm taking a look at this guy and I'm looking at his family and I'm seeing that these people are very narcissistic that he grew up with. And I'm seeing the dynamic with his brother and I'm diagnosing the guy. And I'm like, he, you know, based on the things that he's saying and the things that he's doing, of course, he's got alcoholism as a result of the, you know, the events that happened with his friend Skipper. But I'm looking at it and I'm like, this guy's got a lot of signs of schizoid personality disorder. And mm. so then I, I delve into schizoid personality disorder and I, start picking out things and I start looking for things in the text and I'm like yeah that is a schizoid reaction right there you know and so I I really kind of like take the diagnosis and put it into the character so even though they're two separate things one is pursuing a master's degree in psychology and one is acting they're very similar you know when you start to put it all together I agree Amazing. I saw that production of Cat on Hot Tim Roof and uh no, I, 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 you know, I, I can see that right away, and I know what you're saying about how we, how that character is usually performed in in such a way in the past 
um, I mean, famously done by Paul Newman in, in the movie, you know, sure. but the, you know, the very thing is that it, it is a man looking to see where his place is in this family. It's this family that's sort of lost the uh, connection, you know, in many ways. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you can see that on stage that this connect with the family and, and, and just looking to see, well, how did it start? But where, you know, how, how does it go from here? Um, and Brick sort of feeling like, like it, literally like a cat on a hot tin roof. I mean, you know, it, it has to be hot on that roof and he, he looks like he just wants to, to jump. And I remember that, that seeing you on stage and, and seeing look like you at any moment, something could just, uh, you know, yeah, start like, you off. Like and I, and I can yeah. see that. It's like a time bomb. Exactly. And that's what I right. was going I really and I remember, it, you know, you say the play, you, you're waiting for that click. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> duck down when that click happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like I really wanted to focus on the violence of this guy, because I think underneath all of this, you know, alcoholism, booziness and wanting to be alone and wanting to hear a click, there, there's a real violence to him. And uh, and like you said, it, it didn't just start at the play. I mean. Obviously, his friend Skipper committed suicide and the whispers that maybe the two of them had a homosexual relationship. That's a separate thing, but he comes from a very toxic family. So it's like, well, what happened in the 30 years prior to him meeting Skipper? Like, how did he arrive at this place as a human being, you know, where he is handling this situation in such a way that he is and his reactions are such a way that he is? So it's kind of like tracing the lineage, you know, he comes from Big Daddy, he's a very narcissistic man, he comes from Big Mama, who also you could make the case is either codependent or narcissistic, and lots of times, you know, when these families come together and they produce offspring, the children end up either being narcissistic themselves, or they develop schizoid personality disorder. And uh, that's really what I focused on with Rick, is I, I didn't want him to be this boozy glassy-eyed guy that just you know is sipping alcohol the whole time and it's like there's a lot of like you said there's like he's like a time bomb and there's there's a lot brewing beneath the surface and at any moment it's like it could come out and you know he could get a little crazy you know yeah we have to acknowledge just the brilliance of tennessee williams the playwright a hundred percent man you can't absolutely do, you can't do good work without good writing and absolutely he, He's the man. He's the man. I mean, I, I, I think you can make the case he's the greatest ever uh, because Shakespeare, I love Shakespeare, but I don't know how much you guys know about the whole controversy and conspiracy that Shakespeare maybe didn't write all those plays and other people wrote them. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd like to believe I like to believe that Shakespeare wrote them all, but maybe he didn't. Maybe it was a compilation of 10 other guys. But we know that Tennessee Williams wrote all those plays. So uh, he's right up there with Shakespeare, if you ask me, they're like one and one and two, one and one a, you know, however you want to look at it. I agree, one hundred percent. That's exactly right. That I equate uh, Tennessee Williams as as the American version of, of Shakespeare. I mean, absolutely. And we and and you know, not to knock off anything like uh, yeah, uh, Epson or, or yeah, Eugene O'Neill or anything, but just Miller, Tennessee right. Williams. Yeah, Arthur absolutely. Miller. Yes. Sure, I agree. Yeah, there's nothing better than Glass Menagerie, Streetcar, and Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. They're, they're, Correct. They're, yeah. Not only did it write to us, but it also, I mean, it established, I guess the, you could call it, you want to call it the American uh, theater stage of at least the 20th century, you know, the, the later half of the 20th century, but it, it established that. Well, what's great about Tennessee Williams is, you know, he's a very rebellious guy and he writes yeah. very, very sort of rebellious characters for the time. I mean, 
even though we set our cat on a hot tin roof in modern times, I still think a lot of the themes are still relevant. But back yes. in the, back in the 1950s, you know, the whispers of a of a homosexual relationship were dangerous waters, you know. Um, yeah. And, and then of course in Streetcar, um, the character of Blanche, uh, you know, she's there's rumblings that she's like a pedophile. So it's like he he really takes these really like edgy like tragic kind of circumstances and puts them into his his play and then stanley rapes blanche i mean he's 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 hardcore and i think Very. he's he's a rebel and uh, i think that's what makes him so that's what makes him so great i mean for the time in which he wrote his themes were like not widely accepted i mean you touched on the movie with uh paul newman like there's no uh there's no theme of homosexuality even in that movie. They castrated the movie because it was like correct. it was not like you know politically correct enough to do that. So again, it just speaks to what a rebel he he was and and still is, and why his his works are still you know 75 years later, in my opinion, still the greatest things to witness on stage. You know, just acknowledge that he won the second Pulitzer Prize writing uh cat on hudson roof i mean the, right. you know yeah. it, he did so 58 yeah yeah he he knocked it out the park <laughs> absolutely and then there's the other players i mean as you mentioned you know you have streetcar and you have glass menagerie in fact that's the first production that i, I saw you in was uh, a couple years ago um yeah. back in uh, 2019 yeah 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 the production of the glass menagerie amazing you did an amazing job and you know, just when I saw that, I, I was just captivated by the whole thing. And I said, I want to see this guy. I want to see what this guy can do. And, you know, we, we, we sort of, we had this uh, uh, connection to Facebook. So I, I knew the history of you trying to put Cat on Hanson Roof, you know, from a, a while ago. It seemed almost, Five times. I want to say last year or even a, a year prior to that, but it seems to be like, in itself, this is a Tennessee Williams play, <laughs> you know, not just cat on its roof, but just, just you trying establishing, yeah, yes, just trying, trying to mount it and, and, and the, the hurdles uh, that, yeah. that uh, had happened and just, you know, it was, no, it was just, uh, uh, um, you know, essentially, you, you know, you, you had this go in mind and despite all the, the, the setbacks and hurdles and stuff, you, you got it, you got it done. And, I also want to acknowledge that this production of Cat on the uh, Cat on Hudson Roof is the first production off Broadway. That's right. Here. So yeah. I have to acknowledge that too, as well. That's that's an acknowledgement. Yeah, so, it, it's really great to you know have the support of the Tennessee Williams estate. I mean, we're the first group that they have ever given the rights to produce it off Broadway, and you know people have been asking to do it for the last 70 years. So for whatever, yeah. you know, and you know, not only that, but they gave us the rights to the glass menagerie as well. So I'm trying to get streetcar and do the triple crown. So we'll see. Ah. But that'll be, that'll be in the future. Cause uh, we, we may have unfinished business with cat and a hot tin roof. I, I can't say for, I can't definitively say it, but we, we, we may have, uh, you know, can't let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, but <laughs> There may there may be more, and we may be uh, I may be announcing that soon. So we'll see. All right, we'll stay tuned on that one. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, what's the name of your productions company? 
So it's called Ruth Stage. Are you like Babe Ruth? Ruth. It's not named after Babe Ruth, but it's uh, that's just the easiest way to say it. Ruth Stage, uh, and the, the website is RuthStage.org, and that's got all kinds of information about the group, my mentor, the relationship I had with him. It's got all kinds of stuff on Cadena Hots and Roof, uh, our nonprofit, past productions. We do raffle drawings for fundraisers. You can see the raffle drawings and, and such. So. It's a very fun website designed by one of my my best friends since 1996, uh, Lou Gutowski. So he does awesome graphic work. He does all the graphic design stuff. In fact, he does all the graphic design stuff. And my other best friend from like 1993 does all the pictures. So it's like the three of us, here we are 30 years as friends. Um, you know, we're all working together on, on the group. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. That, yeah, that, that's awesome. Much success on that one. No, Lee and I, we also go way back. We go way back uh, to college days and stuff like that, where we actually yeah, you were collaborated saying, together. Yeah, you were saying. Yeah. Are, are you yeah. guys actors and actresses? Or, I mean, Anthony, are you an actor? I know um, you work. In I, I acted on stage. Uh, I, you know, occasionally I will do it again. But I, I did a couple of times uh, in high school um, and also in college. I directed uh, also a couple of plays I directed Lee uh, in in her first play that she uh, that she started um, and uh, you know we just basically worked uh, in the theater you know just uh, off off Broadway of course but you know in, in many ways as, as best we can we uh, you know if we weren't directing we were writing uh, parodies and stuff like that and we were just basically supporting each other supporting each other's projects and goals. Cool so Lee you're an actress then too? I'm a writer. Uh, I'm also a dancer and a dance instructor. I, I have acted before, just small roles here and there. Um, I've done extra work actually on television and I've been in a few like, stage productions, which is very small roles. But actually right now, um, Anthony and I and my husband who's a composer were all teaming up to work on a scripted podcast. And oh, nice. Yeah, it's a really big project. I wrote the whole script. It's done. It's fully casted. It just, we're making some adjustments to the script. So it's almost like a, like a radio play kind of thing, right? Like, uh, what's that uh, famous Christmas Christmas Carol? They do like a radio play of it um, where you just like kind of listen and someone does the sound effects and everything. And you, you know, you don't watch it, but you listen, you listen to it. Well, that's the go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I'll look forward to that. You'll have to let me know when it when it comes out. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah, we're aiming for hopefully towards the end of the year, maybe Christmas or New Year. All right, so coming up soon. Yeah, Christmas is four months from from Friday, right? Or Thursday. Today's the 23rd, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any future projects like way on the horizon that you're looking to do? So what I want to do really is because I've been sort of doing this whole self-producing thing. When I started doing it, I didn't have the, the means to make them big productions, but I knew that they were quality productions if I only had money to be able to put them on. So, I mean, at this point, I would say Brick is one of two of my favorite characters that I've ever played. And the other one would be a character named Roy from Lone Star. Um, and so we've done a play called Lone Star several times. And much like the Tennessee Williams estate, I developed a relationship with the family of that playwright as well. 
So after we, we conclude Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, uh, whenever that may be, uh, Lone Star would definitely be the next thing that I'll, I'll look to do. Uh, we have a really fun concept with that. It's a play that takes place behind a bar in uh, early 1970s Texas. And the character that I play is a returning Vietnam veteran. And Ooh. he's suffering from PTSD and he comes home from Ooh. the war and he just kind of goes out back behind this bar every night and drinks and eats junk food and his his life's really kind of in the shitter. Um, and on this night, his brother comes out and he's like, "Hey man, come on, let's 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 go home. You know, you're drunk." And Roy just kind of reminisces about what life was like before the war and how much he loves his car, his 1959 Thunderbird convertible. And there's a lot of drama in it, but there's a lot of great comedy. And sort of what happens, I'm going to ruin the play here, but what happens is there's this one guy in town that my character Roy, like, can't stand. This guy Cletus, this really dorky guy that runs a hardware store that, like, idolizes my character. And throughout the events of the play, you know, the, where Roy goes and he drinks out back, it's like his territory. It's his turf. And about midway through the play, this, this Cletus character comes out and says, I need to talk to your brother my character gets so upset like what are you doing out here in, in my yard you know so to speak and he's like I, I just got something that i got to talk to you know your brother about so i'm like all right i'm going in for a drink you know i'm paraphrasing uh i'm going in for a drink when i come back you better be out of here so you find out that like what happened on this night is that my beloved car that i love so much this 1959 pink thunderbird convertible and it's a total piece of shit but he's like hey, He's hanging on to it because it represents his past outside of the war. And you find out that the sweetest guy who idolizes my character so much, he saw the keys on the counter in the bar and decided to take the car for like a joyride so he could feel like me. And he ended up crashing the car. So he comes out to tell my brother, like, I ruined Roy's car. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, my character is going to kill him if he finds out that, you know, he did it. So then I come back out and like my brother now is in this uncomfortable position of having to tell me that my beloved car is wrecked. And not only is it wrecked, but Cletus did it. And then before he, he announces that, he, uh, he drops like a whole other bombshell uh, before I even find out about the car. So it's a really great play. And we, we've done it. We did it in 2017 and 2019. And we were going to do it in 2021, but then everything happened with COVID. You know, Cat was supposed to be done in 2020. Everything yeah. got pushed back a little bit, but for the better. Um, and our plan this time is um, it's going to be like a two-parter. Like part one is going to be inside the bar. Like we're going to show you, like we're going to get a mechanical bowl and have food <laughs> and have music and stuff and really show you like what's going on inside the bar. And then there'll be an intermission, and then you'll go outside the bar and you'll see Lone, Lone Star. So it's a really cool, immersive experience that we're planning it to get in a hot room. That sounds fun. I, I'm I'm sold. I want to see it. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna create like this honky tonk roadhouse bar. And oh my god! Act one is gonna be eating and you know like a live musician, and we're gonna make the bar like it's 1970s. Like I said, we'll have a mechanical bowl, and then when everyone's done eating. You know, the intermission, the, the curtain will go down and then like the stage will just sort of rotate 
and then it'll be the back of the bar and you'll get to see Lone Star. So. Oh my goodness. That's a big so, project that we're planning uh, after Cat in a Hot Tin Room. More power to you, my man. More power to you. Yeah, Wish it's you a lot of that. work. A lot of work, but very rewarding, you know? Yeah. Oh, it sounds very exciting. I'd like to be a part of that. I'd like to come and see it. So the audience actually is immersed into the play. The the audience is kind of at the bar in 1972 Texas, you know, right? Exactly. So amazing. And then and then they become spectators of what's happening behind the bar. Really cool. Wow. Yeah. So that, yeah. that that's coming up after Cat on a Hopkins Group. <laughs> so you're on all different platforms. I am on Instagram at the Mighty Dero is my uh, hashtag, or not hashtag my handle. Uh, it's the same on Twitter. And then on Facebook, it's, it's just my name, you know, Matt DeRogatis. So if uh, any listeners or anybody, I know, Anthony, you follow, we follow each other on uh, Instagram, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, and Facebook. And then Lee, I think we're just friends on Facebook. But if yes, you wanna, I'll come find you on the other platforms. Yeah, find me on the other platforms and I'll follow you back. And if any listeners want to take a peek at my professional life it's at the mighty dero on instagram so d-e-r-o dero at the mighty dero is there any advice you'd like to give aspiring artists in the theater world yeah i think the advice would be like look if you really want to do this like you have to go all in you know there's no there's no backup plan really there there can't be i mean if you really want to do if you have to do this if you really want to do it then then you should go after it with every fiber of your being. But if you kind of are half in and half out and you're not sure, and it's like, well, this is getting difficult. Maybe I should, you know, take another job or maybe I should, you know, I'm not really making a lot of money doing this. It's like, you know, my advice is, look, you're only going to be living once in this body at least, you know, and, and you should pursue your dreams to the, fullest extent and it's probably not going to happen in a year or two or five or ten but there really is no substitute for hard work and if you just put all your chips and you know you double down and you go all in uh good things will happen but you have to be patient my mentor would always say to me there's no overnight successes and i've been at this for many years just like all the other people that have eventually achieved success it doesn't just happen out of nowhere. You know, you, you find that somebody is gets a big break or something and you like kind of look into their past and it's like, oh, wow, they've been doing this for 25 years or they've been doing this for 20 years. So I think if you really feel like you have to do this, then you got you to gotta do it to the fullest extent that you possibly can. But if you don't feel like I don't know that I really have to do this, then I would say do something else, you know? So it's just a matter of like, well, what's going on inside of you? Like, is, is, it, is, is what going on inside of you telling you to do this? Because if it is, do it and don't turn back. Just go until the wheels come off, you know. But if, if you're not sure and you kind of think you want to do it, then I would say maybe consider doing something else because it's not, it's not as glamorous as people think. I think a lot of times people see the end product they'll see the play and they'll be like, Oh, wow, that was really good. Or they'll see people on the red carpet and they're wearing jewelry and, you know, all this 
high fashion and stuff, but that's not really what it's like for 99.9% of the actors out there. So yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a, it's a commitment beyond commitments. I think it's the hardest thing to do in the world. I mean, if I was a brain surgeon, I would put myself through school, I would go through residency, and then I would be able to get hired by a hospital and start operating on brains, you know, but with acting, it's like, well, you're only as good as your last performance and they're, they'll, you're forgotten about because there's 10,000, 10 million other people out there, you know, trying, trying to do the same thing. You got to be all in. That's, that's the only thing I can say. And you have to be all in for a, an extended period of time. Again, it can't be, oh, I'll try this out for two years and see what happens because it, it, it's not going to happen in two years more than likely, you know, it's, right. it's going to take a long time. Just on the journey that I'm on, I started producing a, a small little play at an art gallery in Chelsea in 2014 and, you know, take the two pandemic years out because they don't count because I wasn't able to do anything. And within five years, I became the first person to ever get the rights to produce Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, one of the greatest plays ever written off Broadway. And, you know, that comes with having total commitment and total dedication and having like people around you that are also going to help you do this, you know, I'm a big sports fan, so I, I look at it as like it's it's a sports team. You know what I mean? You got to get the right pieces in place in order to try to win a championship. And um, a lot of times, you'll find that the people that are with you, they kind of fall by the wayside. You know, and then you got to find got to find new people to, to to help you. You got to find the people with the same mindset and work ethic as you. And it's it's hard to do, but it can be done. Sounds good. Oh my gosh. And just once again, I, I just want to acknowledge the success of this production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I do want to acknowledge uh, Sonia uh, Mizumo, the actress who plays oh, yes. uh, Maggie. Sonia Mizuno, oh, yeah. Mizuno, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Allison Fraser, or Fra is it Fraser or Fraser? Uh, Fraser, yeah. She, big Fraser. Mom. Right. And also uh, Christian uh, LeBlanc. Yeah, Christian LeBlanc as uh, Big Daddy. LeBlanc. And uh, Spencer uh, Scott, who was also in the production of The Glass Menagerie several years back. Right. And then Tiffin Borelli and Milton Elliott. And then we had rotating Doc Balls. We had Austin Pendleton uh, as a Doc Ball. We had uh, Adam Dodway. And then we also had uh, Jim Kempner, who I eventually, when I did that play in the gallery that I spoke of before, we did it at Jim's gallery. So. Um, oh, OK. I, yeah. The night that I saw it, there was a paper in, in the uh, playbill that said that the role was going to be played by someone, and it was different from the credit or the you know you the, the printed Adam. acknowledgement. Yeah, you might have saw Adam. Adam was he I think I might have saw that. Yeah, was he, he did a good job. Guy? Yeah, it was young guy. It was Adam. Yeah, you so you saw Adam as Doc Ball. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it was good, and and I had a great time. And for those who uh, uh, you know couldn't see it. You know, we just we're hoping for good news and it, and it, and that the run continues stuff like that and and they get a chance to see it because it's it's an amazing show, um, and you know you, you'll have a good time and that's exactly what I did. I had a great time, um, and the play we let the cat out the bag, but uh, you know you you guys had set the play, uh, little martyr, yeah. um, but despite that, the play still is relevant and still speaks to our time. Absolutely. Even though it was written back in 56 to 55. I mean, 
we're talking about right 55 um and it still speaks volumes and and it's it, you know i, I want to say it's relevant but it, it's more than that it speaks the truth you know yeah. it speaks the truth so it's just it speaks to us it's a brilliant piece of work and uh you know i was honored and privileged to be able to do it and you know again we're not doing it at like some small community theater group in alabama or something like that you know we we got to do it in new york city off broadway yes. and it's like yeah i mean it's part of history so we're we're i know that everybody involved in the production uh from the actors to the director joe rosario who did a fantastic yes. job and he's a big part of our group Ruth stage um and then you know our stage manager jesse i mean everyone was really uh, thrilled that we were a part of this and uh hopefully many of us will be part of uh an extension so we shall see awesome awesome i'm 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 you know thrilled uh you know for the news and i'm i'm happy for the success uh and i wish you well man yeah, Anthony, thanks so much. Thanks for setting this up. It was great to meet you that day outside of the theater. And Lee, really nice to meet you as well. Let's all stay in touch and uh, maybe we can collaborate one day ourselves. That would be <laughs> Amen. With that, yes, love that. Yes. That'd be great. I just want to thank you for joining me on State of the Arts. And thank you for co hosting tonight, Anthony. And oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> Always a pleasure, yes. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of State of the Arts. I encourage all of you to stay true to your dreams, be safe, and be positive.